This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu. Welcome to the Center for Sports Studies podcast. My name is Brandon Podgorski, Professor of Sport Management at Trine University, and I want to welcome you to this week's podcast. On today's podcast, we have a recorded interview with Josh Schaub, who's the Commissioner of the American Association of Independent Professional Baseball and Major Arena Soccer League. We discussed his extensive background in sports, starting as a scout with the Milwaukee Brewers to his present day career in sports law. I hope you enjoy. So Josh, um, probably the hardest working man in sports. Welcome to the podcast. The busiest man. I don't know if I, I mean, to me, like the saying goes, this isn't really work. Uh, it's very enjoyable for the most part. And ultimately, at the end of the day, the role is commissioner, but it's really a position that brings a lot of tools in the tool belt. So I get to do a lot of different things in this job, including PR, media, legal, business, social, I mean, marketing, all that is rolled up in one. This is an extremely fun job and definitely not work. We were talking a little bit before we, we started the podcast, and obviously I've got a background. I've known you for a couple of years, but I know you've got your hands into a ton of stuff. So tell us, you know, kind of all the roles, all the things that you're doing. And if you'd like to give us a little bit of your background, how you got started working in sports, whether it's in college, you know, through today. Sure, I'll spare you going back to Genesis, but I knew <laughs> sophomore year of high school that I wanted to work in sports. At the time, in 1999, there was only one university in the Midwest that had a sports management degree and, and outside of University of Minnesota, and I'll tell you why I chose lacrosse, but uh, is University of Wisconsin lacrosse. It was then under the Exercise and Sports Science, College of Exercise Sports Science, which is a mistake. I'm glad you just told me Trine's under business, but I went to UW lacrosse, um, majored in sports management, majored in political science, and then while I was there, I started working in rec sports, very simple facilities-based position, running leagues, small leagues, recreational, and then running facilities. Left there, went to work for the Milwaukee Brewers, first as an intern in scouting, busted my tail uh, for six months. I treated it like it was a six months for the rest of my life. Yep. Like do well there and everything else will be set up. Like that little domino will tip over another big one, tip over another big one. It turned out it did. So while I was at the Brewers, one day I heard uh, scout Harvey Keen Jr. behind me talking about he was going up to the Twin Cities to go scouting that weekend. So I got up out of my cubicle, went and introduced myself and, and told him who I was. And I asked, can I come shadow you this weekend? Can I just sit with you? And he said, yes. And by the way, my internship was in scouting. So I was doing a lot of analytics, rudimentary compared to today, very rudimentary analytics on the rule four amateur draft, where players come from, what's their average height, weight, average time in the big leagues, so on and so forth. And it was really studies to justify draft picks. But went and met with Harvey in the Metrodome. He became one of my best friends, my mentors that weekend. And he just, I, I was engulfed in the world of scouting. Loved every second of it, but knew my career was limited in baseball in 2005 because where analytics hadn't come to in, I didn't play professional baseball. I didn't graduate from Harvard. I needed to do something else. So I went off to law school, which I always had an interest in the law as well. While in law school, I became a clerk for the Northern League. Got that once again by picking up the phone and reaching out to someone and say, hey, can I come shadow you? Can I just like sit with you in your office and hear about things? And I did some free work for the then commissioner of the Northern League. And then he brought me on as, as a clerk and as an assistant to the commissioner's office in the Northern League. 
and then worked in Edmonton the following summer. I flew back and forth from Minneapolis to Edmonton, consulting with that team up there on best business practices and then their player procurement. Graduated law school in 08, the most saturated legal market in the country. <laughs> um, had a job for three weeks and then was let go when the economy crashed. Yep. So then, in my finest hour of wisdom, I uh, decided to start my own law firm. For six months, I barely picked up a paycheck, if anything, went into extreme debt and ultimately failed owning my own practice, but got a call from a buddy that said, come join my bankruptcy firm. I'm swamped. So for three years, I practiced bankruptcy, which is not what I loved to do, but it was something I had to do, put food on my table, pay the bills. And at the same time, kept my foot in sports by scouting, trying to represent clients buying and selling minor league teams, which there was a lot at that time changing hands due to the economy. And I did it on the cheap just to get the experience. 2013 came by, a client came to me and said, I'm looking at buying this team in Joliet, Illinois. Here's the financials. Can you do due diligence? I did the due diligence. My client actually backed out of the deal. I decided to pick it up. I found two business partners through some connections I had made over the years. We bought the team. I ran that and owned it for three years. I was a CEO, sold in 2015, started a summer collegiate league in Naperville, Illinois, failed miserably again, learned a lot, great market demographically, but so much noise and needed a ton of capital, way more capital than I had to break through that noise. And that's for a class, whole class talking about markets and sports. Yeah. Um, all the while during all of this, I'm practicing law, by the way. So I'm practicing law doing that. 2016 comes along. I was recruited to go in-house in Milwaukee where Brandon and you and I met. So I was in-house and doing some sales actually for um, MKE Sports, portfolio company of 23 entertainment related businesses. Did that. I was recruited out of there to go to my current law firm, Gutwein Law, to start a sports law practice and division. We've done that, doing very well in that regard. Picked up motorsports in the last year in Indiana. And for those that aren't familiar with Gutwein, uh, Lafayette-based offices in Indianapolis and Evansville and now Minneapolis. 2016 started a professional hockey league in Minnesota called the Beauty League. Really interesting concept. Think NBA summer league, but for hockey. Okay. And it's NHL players that live in Minneapolis and play 10 nights in the summer in a four-on-four non-check league getting ready for the NHL season. So MASL commissioner came along in 2017. I was approached about taking that league over, needed major governance overhaul as a lawyer. It fit well. I'm now evolving in that position. 2018, approached about the American Association Commissioner job being open. Took that um, at the winter meetings of 2019. So I've had that job for a year and a half. I think that's it. <laughs> so uh, I also practice law still, doing securities and sports law. So I'm going to try to unpack a lot of what you just said there. And, and I try to find nuggets that I think our students certainly would find interesting and, and maybe just kind of the overall public. But, you know, one thing I heard is that it doesn't sound like like your mom and dad were, were professional athletes or had these great connections. I mean, it sounded like you just took the initiative to, to pick up the phone and just work your tail off. And then from there, you know, you've, you've made these connections where you go in like, like Joliet's a perfect example. You know, you go in just to help somebody. Then all of a sudden you find yourself kind of owning a team. And then from there you start to meet these other people and it's kind of opened up these other doors for you. Yeah. If I can just comment on that, my, my parents are amazing people. Um, we were not financially gifted growing up as children, but my dad and mom imparted on me some gifts. One of those gifts was giving your time. Mm -hmm. And so I had no problem when someone asked me, can you work for free for a while? And I said, yeah, that's not a problem. Like I'll work for free. I'll earn this and earn the right to come work for you. And my dad 
had ref seven sports as a kid growing up. So football, baseball, volleyball, softball, basketball, track and field, and he'd done one more. So very heavily involved in amateur athletics, worked a lot for the WIA, which is the governing body in the state of Wisconsin. Um, but primarily my dad uh, sold cars. My mom was an administrative assistant at the high school. So I didn't have the connections. You know, the running joke in professional sports is either you graduated from Harvard or your uncle works for the team. Right. I had neither of those things. So it took something a little more. And for me, it was about grinding it out, keeping your foot in the door, uh, reaching out to people, taking chances and surviving. That's what it was really about. Cause there was many opportunities in my life. I've could have taken the safe road. I could have gone home after my first law firm failed and going to practice general law at my dad's friend's law office. I could have bailed on, um, owning a minor league baseball team or not taking that chance financially to go do that and simply kept practicing bankruptcy law. So there was many forks in the road along the way. I chose sports and kept choosing sports because that's what I love. And that's what I'm passionate about. And like, like I said, before we got on, this isn't work for me. This is very enjoyable. It's very stressful, but it's very enjoyable at the same time. Rewarding. So out of all the things that you've, that you've done and all the things you're kind of doing now, you know, what gives you the greatest joy? What do you enjoy the most? The pinnacle of any commissioner's job is handing over the trophy on the championship date. That, that to me, and I, I, there's a few occasions I've had that have been really special. I'll touch on a few of them. My first three years as the MASL commissioner, our championship games were held in Mexico. Just an amazing atmosphere, being in front of 10 to 15,000 people in an arena, going absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. And the first three were won by the visiting team, which is not what commissioners typically like. Because <laughs> it's not good for the brand when, you know, we could have confetti pouring down and the home team and the fans going crazy, but it's won by the visiting team. But the intensity of those games still sticks out to me and being able to award the visiting team who traveled across North America to come play this game in front of a raucous crowd was amazing. And then giving the speech afterwards and being booed so loud, I can't hear myself talk. <laughs> you know, that's all part of the experience. I would say too, last year I awarded my first American Association trophy to the St. Paul Saints. Uh, in front of 5,500 people, I think it was the largest playoff crowd in American Association history. For those that don't know, minor league baseball doesn't do well in the playoffs. School started in September. Baseball's been dragging along for a long time. So very proud of that accomplishment as well. I would say also rehauling what is indoor soccer over the last five years has been amazing. Building out a division, a pyramid of arena soccer, and using that word build. We built something. I think that's been really special as well. So what are the duties of the commissioner? We have to bring a lot of tools in our tool belt. So duties include, in a very general sense, acting on behalf of the best interests of the league. And if anybody studies sports law, that's a very famous line that has been given through Bowie versus Kuhn and a number of other cases. But we act in the best interests of the league. What does that mean? That means that we're the head of PR, media broadcasting, marketing, governance. So it means all the on-field stuff we handle. We're also politicians. I mean, the reality is we operate in 501c6 leagues, which means that we're not for profit, but each team owns a vote. So if we want to move the league forward, we need to convince a majority or supermajority of the owners in some case to invest or change a policy or grant a membership or terminate a membership to move the league. So you, you act as a politician and a communicator often, along with manager, human resources, Immigration, I deal with in soccer, you know, a ton, uh, an advocate, a lobbyist. I mean, you have to do so many things as a commissioner, especially 
you know, at my level where I don't have millions of dollars at my fingertips and resources, I have what is essentially a small business with 10, well, now I have about 20 employees between both leagues primarily. Um, officiating is another one. I've got to handle the officials in both leagues and scheduling and operations. So point, Brandon, is you've got to bring a lot of things to the table as commissioner and you need to be an entrepreneur at this level. You know, you, you were talking about doing what's in the best interest for the league. And, you know, I, w- I, was, I was on a run today thinking about what questions I'm going to ask you. And, and one that kind of came to my mind, you know, I, I'm currently going through my PhD right now and I'm in my third sports law class that I've taken from undergrad to through, through my master's and PhD. And, and this week we're examining the Pete Rose case. And, you know, that was one of the things that came out when they, when they were taking uh, Bart Giamani to court was acting the best interest of the league. And so I just wonder for you as commissioner, you know, if you're dealing with things like, you know, disciplining players or owners or managers or whatever it would be, what do you think is the best way to do that? Is it, is it best to have kind of a, an independent kind of arbitrator comes in? I know with the players, you know, in unions, you get that. But, you know, with managers or owners, there's not necessarily that protection. So, you know, should the commissioner be judge, jury, executioner? Or, you know, is there more of a hybrid system that would work better? I think each league and each league and each sports heritage brings a different culture. So baseball the commissioner is always the judge and jury and has been since the 1920s yep. uh, when Bowie Kuhn and, and uh, Judge Landis were obviously the commissioners. Not Bowie Kuhn. Judge Landis is really the first hammer, right, that came in Major League Baseball. So baseball has that culture where it's okay for the commissioner to discipline everybody and be the executioner. In fact, in that league, my executive director actually doles out a lot of discipline. But if there's an appeal, it comes to me, and I almost always rubber stamp his discipline simply because he checks with me first and say, yeah, and it's pretty standard. Baseball ejections, maybe bang a guy for two games if they get physical with the umpire, whatever it may be. Soccer has a different cultural norm where they want soccer-oriented people ruling on their discipline. So players that have been on the field, officials, so on and so forth. So those are for on-field infractions. That's the discipline committee that handles those. I am the appellate body, but it rarely gets to me. They usually take the punishment because I'll be honest, I have a reputation that if it gets to me, it's not going to be as good as the, what the discipline committee gave. I can do editor, meaning if the discipline committee gives one game, I have the right as a commissioner to add one or two. So you take a risk by appealing to me. And often when I think that the punishment hurts the brand of the league, I will use editor. Mm-hmm. I'm big on what our brand is and you know, I'm big on blows to the head, and head contacts, so on and so forth. And I think the competitors that used to play the sport are a little more lenient on those competitors because they've been in that situation. So I would say to answer your question in summary, it depends on the culture of the sport, what the norm is throughout the world and whether the commissioner can hold that role. And I don't have a soccer background. So really I feel very comfortable with someone else handling that at least initially. Well, and you know, part of that is, is kind of doing a, a risk assessment when you're looking at the reputation of the league or, you know, the NFL, they talk about protecting the shield and all that because, you know, you got a lot of a media noise and noise in the public that who everybody wants to comment right? And, and everybody armchair quarterbacks, and they're always right. So, you know, what's it like as a commissioner, you know, working with the media and, and trying to maybe kind of get your side of the story out when, you know, a story is uh, maybe not advantageous to you? One is I'm still learning, right? So this, the media has changed even in my five years as being commissioner of the soccer league. And although we don't have a tremendous general following in the United States, we have a very hardcore following among certain soccer fans. And I feel like the media is very much in a gotcha mode, mm. right? 
if they don't like something that's happening in their community or they didn't like some, some league, they call for an interview only to try to get a gotcha. And why didn't you do this? It's most investigative or opinion journalism versus let's just get the facts. So things that I am very adamant about in regards to the media is just being transparent and getting out the truth and steering, you know, that interview to make sure that happens. I did an interview last night, actually, and I thought this was really valuable in, in retrospect with fans. So I had three fans that actually organized a, a process whereby fans could ask questions. They filtered them and gave them to me, and I don't care what the questions are. Ask me whatever. And I was just transparent with some things in the league. And I'll be honest, a very controversial subject last year was we had a team in Canada that dropped out right before the season due to financial issues. And the league had to take over a team in Orlando. And so there's a lot of criticism regarding that and why that happened. And I answered truthfully. And the truth of the matter is when you let a, an owner in a league, and we're not the only league to have these issues, NFL, MLB has bad owners by their standards. Um, you're stuck. And you cannot make an individual invest money in their team. That's a franchise system. We don't have franchise systems. Some leagues are. Some leagues are franchise systems. So to answer your question, media – has changed. I learn every day. It's all about transparency, but giving the absolute truth about what happens versus trying to paint it because people can see through that so easily. And I think we've seen that recently with some commissioner's comments after Houston Astros uh, pandemic clusters there, NFL. I mean, they, if you don't tell the truth, people know it. So just be careful. You know, and sometimes I, I just wonder when it comes to that, you know, I know, again, you're trying to protect your brand, you're trying to protect your reputation, but at the end of the day, I mean, the truth's gonna get out one way or the other. Although there's some that the, the general public will never be privy to. And some of your decisions that even you had to make, you had to make because you have more knowledge than a lot of other people do. So, you know, I think it kind of behooves commissioners, hey, let's be honest, let's go forward and, and move on. And, you know, I think for the most part, not including Twitter, um, people are rational and yeah. can at least respect you. I think just in closing there too, it's answering the why. Why did you make yes. this? When you actually, as a commissioner, can come out and explain why you made that decision. I think a lot of people come around like I can understand that reasoning. But if you simply put out a press release, you know, Ian Bennett suspended three games without any rational why, which is what happens. I mean, we essentially just slap a suspension. Um, that's where you're you're going to get a lot of criticism. So when you're able to open up about certain things, um, I think that's positive. We. We, can't, we canceled the MASL season last year, obviously, pandemic, you know, and I was able to go on our own league podcast and explain the thought process behind it. I think people understood the difficulties of running leagues and making these decisions when you're able to put that out to them uh, publicly. And I luckily have a very forgiving ownership group in both leagues and give me a lot of leeway. I think there's some commissioners, especially Commissioner Manfred, doesn't have that same leash um, that's given to him to answer transparently like he wants to. So let's go down that road because as I was looking at all the cancellations happened because of COVID, I was kind of thinking back to my experience as an athletic director on, on the college level. And obviously, you know, the first priority is to keep everybody safe and, and we're all good with that. But how much did liability play into it? You know, fans come to the games, they get sick, something awful happens. Players get sick, something awful happens. I mean, you know, I don't want to say so much CYA, but, you know, I mean, did that play into it at all? Liability always plays a part in it. I mean, it's not only liability, it's literally just looking out and make sure no one's going to get harmed by us putting together a product. It's strict liability. Yep. That stated, when the MASL canceled in March, 
all we knew at that time was the NBA had canceled. We knew it must be serious if that was the case. We knew somewhat what was coming out of China, but there was just so much unknown. It, and we knew health departments were going to start shutting things down. So we're like, let's just get ahead of it and stop it and hit pause. We weren't canceling the season that time. We just hit pause. Ultimately, as we learned more, learned that it was the right decision. Fast forward to June, not too much time, 90 days, 120 days. And we're in baseball season trying to put together a season. We've learned a lot more. Now we're talking about putting on events in an outdoor stadium. We know about social distancing. We know about layers of protection, masks. We have testing. We have testing protocols. We know quarantine. We just had so much more knowledge when the baseball season was about to commence that we felt the potential risk was outweighed by the potential positives um, of having a season that we could do it in a safe environment for our players and fans. We didn't have that knowledge for the soccer season. So yes, liability is a part of it, but more so it's about the health and safety of all involved. So let's kind of switch gears a little bit and talk about, you know, the American Association. Um, people might not understand the difference between independent ball and affiliated ball. Um, so kind of explain that. Gladly. There is literally zero difference between affiliated ball or independent ball outside of affiliated baseball players' contracts are owned by Major League Baseball. Our contracts are owned by our uh, independent league owners. The labor pool in which we operate in independent league baseball is comprised of players that primarily played in affiliated baseball. And at some point, a Major League team said, you are not going to be a Major League Baseball player or you were a Major League Baseball player and you are now past your prime, or you've been replaced by somebody else that fits our needs. So the talent level is probably double A for the American Association. On some nights it's triple A, depending on who the starting pitcher is, might be A. Um, but I will say overall, most of the players we have are actually released prior to their prime. They were released in their first six years of being a professional baseball player, which you're signed at 18. That means you were released probably at 24 if you even got to the end of your six years, maybe before. Most baseball players don't hit their prime till 26, 27. So even though they may have been released in double A, ultimately at their top level, they would have been at triple A. So we do have some very good talent. I think minor league baseball, affiliated baseball has been done a great job in the last 30 years demonizing independent league baseball for the reason that we infringe on their markets. So they've done a good job of excluding us from the discussions as it relates to the professional baseball landscape, saying that we play in sandlots or players are over the hill couldn't be further from the truth because the reality is we were taking the fans. So we play in anywhere from 30 to $60 million stadiums in the American association. Um, nicer than a lot of affiliated ballparks and some great markets. We're in major markets. So as we sit in the shadow of major league baseball in a lot of respects, because we don't have territorial restrictions. Um, so we're in Winnipeg, St. Paul, Milwaukee, Chicago, Gary, Lincoln, Kansas city, Dallas, a couple teams, in Dallas, Sioux Falls, Sioux city. So great markets. Wouldn't know the difference if you're a fan show up between affiliate and independent. Well, some people listening to this podcast, especially if they're from Northern Indiana, they're going to be familiar with the Gary South Shore Railcats. And they do, they've got a, it's a beautiful stadium. And, you know, you, you might not think that driving through Gary, but you know, you're on the interstate on your way to Chicago and you look over it. Like, I mean, it looks like a minor league stadium. It's not you know, a high school. That is a triple A stadium that could be plopped in anywhere else. And it would be one of the best stadiums in the country. But you're right, the stigma around Gary, Indiana detracts from what that stadium is. Yeah, and it's unfortunate, but I mean, have there been guys who've played independent baseball? I was looking at your alumni roster on the website, 
I mean, you had Max Scherzer on there, which is pretty impressive. But are there guys who make that jump who maybe just couldn't catch on to a team, play independent ball for a little while, and then all of a sudden find themselves in the majors? I just uh, watched um, Fun is Good. It's a documentary about St. Paul Saints. Uh, Well-known name, obviously, because he's in media now. Caleb Fieldbar is another interesting story, and we get a lot of players like this. Caleb Fieldbar, and this is a personal story, too, a little bit, drafted by the Brewers, 18th round out of South Dakota State. Left-hander, 90-92, four-pitch mix, goes to A-ball. They take away his slider, uh, put him in the bullpen. Confidence is shot because his slider was his out pitch, but they wanted him to focus on the other three pitches. His velocity goes down to 86-87 because they changed his delivery. He gets released, goes to St. Paul Saints. They give him his slider back. They take away the cutter. They do some things. They tweak him. Now he's 92-94, to striking everybody out. Twins sign him. He jumps to the big leagues in less than 12 months and goes 22 scoreless innings. So those stories exist. And the stat I love to tell is that in 2018, we had nine players that were in the big leagues in 2019. So they did make, in fact, that jump very quickly at the big leagues. Moreover, I would say we have a lot of relievers due to driveline and other throwing programs now that their velocities after they come to us improve to the point you wouldn't see a difference between them and a big leader outside of control and secondary pitches. So oftentimes we get pitchers come to us that change some things on their secondary pitch. Command gets a little better, some tweaking, because the reins get taken off of them in our league because we're not a developmental league. We're, we're there to win. So do what you have to do to get somebody out. Not what we should tell you to pitch because the analytics at the big league level tell you that's what you do have to get people out of the big league level. So we do see a lot of success. I will admit it's pitchers more than hitters. Hitters are uh, not given up easily on in, in affiliated baseball. So uh, we do have a few, though, and I will tell you that we have players that are first-round draft picks that make it to double A, even up to the 40-man roster, come to us. And at 5 o'clock during BP, you would think they're big leaguers. Okay. Um, but, you know, if they can't hit the curveball, whatever it may be. But, yes, we, we often find uh, our players in the big leagues. So from a general perspective, because I think you've got a really good background in it, you know, I'm going to go back to something you said earlier where you're talking about, you know, as a commissioner, you cannot control people putting money into their franchise. And, and I'm a huge baseball fan. And you can see it in the major leagues. A couple teams come right off, uh, come to the top of my head. Baseball as a whole, is it in trouble? You know, with younger generations coming up, going into esports or watching the NBA or whatever. I mean, is Major League Baseball in trouble? Um, major League Baseball needs to do something drastic to stop the backslide. But as I've heard from a lot of pundits and, and really academics, baseball's not going anywhere. Let's not be fearful that all of a sudden it's going to shut down. They may lose a couple billion dollars off of their top line revenue, but they're going to be just fine. Same with the NFL, same with the NBA. Everybody is somewhat under attack from esports, just diverting eyeballs. Not so much athletes, right? Because we're still competing for athletes. And I think if you've been listening to Commissioner Manfred's One Baseball, One Baseball is about finding more baseball athletes and really getting everyone under the same protocols to market. FIFA, soccer, has done an amazing job of that worldwide of just creating this huge umbrella to suck up money to the top level and pay it back down, control contracts, have uniformity and rules, development. Baseball is trying to replicate that. NBA, in fact, has had international uh, events going on for years. They're now in China, Africa, Europe, uh, G League, and baseball is just behind in that respect. So baseball is not in trouble holistically, like we're never going to see it again. The owners just aren't going to be as rich as they once were. Well, that, that's a real bummer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, as we, as we wrap up here, 
what would be your advice for students who, who want to start into sports? I mean, you know, you, you said it, you just kind of started as a, as an intern, a scout for the Brewers. And that was just you on the phone to now, you know, you're running two different leagues and you've got your hands in a lot of different things. What would be like your one or two pieces of advice that you would get for students who, you know, kind of want to be in the, in the position you are today? Advice number one is sacrifice. So the reality is there's a lot of unpaid internships that you can take, take them. Like they're unpaid. I get it. Take out loans, do what you do. If you really love this, you'll make the money later. Um, I know your parents would probably say that's reckless advice, but it was my advice. That's what, that's what I got. And that's what I did. And it worked out very well. What really frustrates me um, is when I get a lot of students coming to me with a resume and say, I would like a job. And I look at their resume and they literally have no experience working in sports hmm. And maybe it's a bartending job or this job. And they're like, well, I had to make money to do it. You're going to have to do that bartending job plus go do an internship. It's not one or the other. You unfortunately are going to have to work more hours than anyone else and do more to differentiate yourself from anybody else. So my advice is sacrifice. Don't take the easy road. Give up certain things that make you comfortable. Be uncomfortable. It's okay to do that. I'm sure you've heard it before. And take chances, reach out to people and say, hey, can I just have coffee? I'm not asking for anything besides coffee. And in fact, as a student, you should buy that person coffee. Don't <laughs> sit there and wait for them to buy you coffee. You're asking them to do something. Just, that's just a little pet peeve of mine. Yeah. When people ask for time and then, like, you know, they sit there and look at me as the bill comes. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I don't know. You can paint that two different ways. But um, sacrifice, hard work, work harder than anybody else and differentiate yourself. I think those are three things that stick out. And I'm going to assume it was all worth it, right? So far, so good. I failed a lot. I think in my intro, I talked about some failures I had. And the one thing I can always say is I've hit the bottom and I know what the bottom is. And I don't think I'll ever go there because I've gained so much knowledge and experience through that. Like I'll land somewhere. And then one client once told me that when it was like 2010 and he's in real estate, he's like, this will never go away. Like all these experiences and knowledge will never go away. And there's value for someone out there and what I've done. So yeah, I'm confident this has worked out pretty well so far. I love it. And uh, you've got a couple podcasts of your own. So, you know, tell us where we could find you um, on podcast. And if there's anything you want to promote as far as social media or anything going on with, with any of your leagues. Yeah, away. I appreciate that. Uh, Commission Talks is one that um, a production company came to me and said they wanted to produce. So that's on Spotify. I think you can find it along with some others I should know, but <laughs> Apple, <laughs> Apple store, I think Commission Talks is on as well, or Apple Podcasts. And then also my law firm does one. You can find it on our website or on our LinkedIn. It's Gutwein Law. We talk about sports, sports law in general. And like I said, Wes Zirkel is the other attorney in my firm that does sports. He primarily concentrates on esports and motorsports. So it's a good marriage between us because I do leagues, management, litigation, and sports. He handles a lot of the individual sports and promotions, licensing, so on and so forth. So can find me there. Um, just in general, my Twitter handle is Shablaw. Put that out there. That was a law firm that failed. So it's, it's a good like historical piece to remind me. I, pu I put out a lot of like league content there, just the leagues I'm involved in. I, I thought about delving more into some of my personal thoughts, but that's a dicey proposition as a commissioner because yeah. once you speak, you're now representing leagues and teams. And I don't see Roger Goodell putting out his personal opinion on things. So uh, unfortunately, someday I'll be able to get unleashed, but it's not now. Well, that's a great that's a great point to end on sometimes um you know, discretion is the better better part of valor i will say you know one topic that we should talk about for your students that i think is really valuable right now social justice and the league's positioning of social justice 
I am still torn to this day about the right thing to do in terms of our messaging on these topics. And that may seem really like obtuse in terms of your students saying, well, isn't it obvious what you should be doing? Let me step back and explain to you why this is difficult. And these are the things that I wish I could explain to fans. It is very difficult to represent, essentially I have 14 bosses in baseball and 17 in soccer, to position the league that will satisfy all of those bosses. That that was the right thing to say at the right time and that may, I, it may have impacted sponsors that they have, fans that they have and alienated them with something the league did. And this is not my personal opinion about what's right and wrong. This is what the league's opinion is. And I really wrestle whether the league should have an opinion. So I'm proud of leagues that do step out there and do that, that they have the uniform backing of owners. I am a little skeptical, though, of the same thing of are they doing this to placate uh, certain groups of people only to make sure that the cash flow keeps coming from those groups? And is it really genuine at the end of the day? Because I don't want to put anything out there that's not genuine. And if I don't have all of my owners or a vast majority of my owners behind it, it's very difficult. And finding just the right words to use. And I'll give you an example. I've seen leagues put out that George Floyd was murdered. So at some point in their statement, it said George Floyd is murdered. And here I am as an attorney who is squarely behind the premise of innocent until proven guilty. And I know we have videos and I know we've said, but I've sat in the courtroom. I've seen other facts that come out. And that officer may be guilty of something. I'm not sure he's guilty of murder and only a jury is going to get to decide that. So when we put out in the MASL a statement about George Floyd, I was very careful to say the loss of George Floyd. So that's really what it was about for us and let a jury decide how in fact that loss occurred. And you just have to be so careful as a commissioner on what you do um, to represent a company. Because I am not that company. Josh Schaub is not the company. The company stands on its own. And it is run by our members. I'm just the commissioner that acts in the best interest. So social justice positioning for leagues and doing the right thing needs to happen through action and not statements. And that's what I'd rather concentrate on. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and I went through the same thing when, when I was an athletic director and, and it was at a public school. Uh, and we had people who wanted to come and, and do some things that were certainly social justice, socially justice, justice active. Um, and I've got my own leanings and beliefs on, on that stuff and some I, I could get behind, but you know, you have to kind of put the whole thing in perspective like you were talking about. And um, you know, the way I kind of looked at it, it's like, I think I'm, I feel better as far as risk goes, not doing anything because I'm not going to get hit hard on that as much as if I said, yeah, we absolutely support this one particular thing where, you know, half the people are going to be behind us. And I think the other half are, are going to kind of crush us. And, you know, it's tough. And I think it puts you in a tough position as a commissioner. Um, you talked about the legal side and, you know, what we can clearly might see as murder in a court of law, it's totally different because you're thinking about different statutes and how people are charged. And it's just, it's not as easy as just saying, yeah, we're totally going to throw our support behind this. Let's face it. You may have the egg on your face later when new facts come out. And I'm not speaking particularly about George Floyd, just right. any incident for that matter. And we've seen it in the American justice system over and over. These convictions get overturned for some reason. Yep. It, it happens all the time. So you just have to be very careful about how you describe your reaction or your initiatives around certain events. I think the more tactical thing for leagues to do is actually create initiatives about equal opportunities. And I think whatever we can agree out of the George Floyd social justice matter is that things are not equal in this country. So how do we change that? And we don't have to come out and say a statement about that particular incident, but what we can do is make a statement about equal opportunity. So the MASL is now doing a video series on some of our minority athletes and their path. 
and then talking about that and just informing people and educating people around their path being a little different, their treatment being just particularly different overall, instead of making a statement or putting up a black square in our Instagram post, that does nothing. Let's just take action what we know is right without giving judgment regarding any particular incident. I love it. I think the more that those stories can get out and people can understand that there's different perspectives and people kind of go through different things in their lives as opposed to, you know, maybe how a lot of us were raised. I think aware, raising awareness and, and giving people a, a look behind the scenes or behind the curtain. I, I mean, that's perfect as far as I'm concerned, but you know, I'm, I'm just a podcast host. So what do I know? <laughs> <laughs> I am as well. I'm just a podcast host um, sometimes. Yeah. Well, well, Josh, we appreciate you coming on to the show. And uh, if people want to see you, obviously, you've got commission talks, you've got some other things um, they can go check out the uh, American Association of Independent Professional Baseball website and Major Arena Soccer League website. So Josh, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, thank you to the students. Good luck with everything. Uh, feel free to reach out. I'll help you as much as I can. But remember my advice. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Be sure to check out our social media pages on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for our next guest in mid-August. We'd like to say a special thank you to producer Josh Hornbacher for his work behind the scenes. This is the Center for Sports Studies podcast, broadcasting from the Trine Broadcasting Network. For more information about the Center for Sports Studies, please visit trine.edu. Also be sure to like the Trine Center for Sports Studies on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TrineCSS. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu.